God's authority over his church. Now, I am aware of the fact that in our age, authority is a pejorative term. Authority is a bad word. People don't like authority. People shrink back. People reject authority. You don't want to say authority. But we're not in the world. We're in the kingdom of God. We're in the church of Jesus Christ, where the word authority, when it's applied to the authority of Jesus Christ, that is a very good word. The authority, Christ's authority over his church. Like, how many are glad to have him authoritative over his church, right? Glad he's head over his church. We don't want to be head. We'd make a mess of things. But he is the head over his church, and that means the head has authority. It tells the neck what to do. It tells the arms what to do. It tells the legs what to do. It tells the feet what to do. Christ is head, and he has authority as head over his church. So authority, as we're going to see it today, in the church of Jesus Christ is not suspect, but is resident. It is found resident in Jesus Christ, and it flows from him into other places in his church. Now, now we're going to look at three levels of authority. If you like three things, preachers, why do we always give three things? It takes a few minutes to develop each one, and then you're out of time, so that's why. So uh, three things today, three ways that this authority of Christ manifests itself in the church of Jesus Christ. Three levels of authority. Here's the first one. We've already been seeing it, but let's make it formal. Here we go. Jesus Christ is the head, and again, that means authority, over his church. Authority in the church of Jesus Christ is a good word. Well, how do we know that? Because it's one of the last words Jesus gave us about himself before he departed this earth. What did he say? All authority in heaven and on earth is given to me. Jesus Christ has all authority, and that's a good thing. That's good authority. That's a good word. You want to bow before Jesus Christ and his authority. One of the one of the terms and one of the passages of the Bible about being saved is this, you bow the knee and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. What is that? You're recognizing he is sovereign, he is master, he is authority, he is over me. I bow, he's my Lord. Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. I want to be found doing all the will of Jesus Christ. And if, if you're gonna be saved, maybe that's what you're looking at. Oh man, I know if I really come to Jesus, He's going to be my Lord. He's going to be my sovereign. He's going to have authority over my life. I'm not sure I really want that. We're all sure you really want that. You really need that. You really be blessed by getting out of your own authority and getting under the authority of Jesus Christ. So what we're seeing in our first point today is Jesus Christ is the head or the authority over his church. Now let me give you some verses for that. We already read one, but we're going to go back to it. Here it is. Let's read it again. I'll read it for you. Verse 22, Ephesians 1, and he, that is the Father, put all things. How many things? All things. Everything. You name something, it's under Christ. He is absolute sovereign. He is absolute Lord seated there at the right hand of the Father. And he, the Father, put all things under his, Christ's feet and gave him, Christ, as head over all things. Over how many things is Christ head? Over all things. He is head over all and gave him as head over all to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So as Jesus Christ, as head over all things, is certainly head over his church. His church is one of those things. He's given as head over all to his church. So who's over Cornerstone Community Church? It's not a trick question. You ought to get this one right. Who's over Cornerstone Community Church? Jesus Christ. Whose church is this? Jesus Christ. It's not my church, not your church, not even Pastor Stan's church. 
It's the church of Jesus Christ. It's his church. He purchased it with his own shed blood. We see this again in Ephesians 5, that Christ is head or in authority over his church, Ephesians 5, 22. Now, it's going to speak to wives. That's not the part I'm after, but you're going to hear about Christ and his church. Verse 22, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Why? For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of his church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so let the wives and so on and so forth. The middle part there is what we want. Even as Christ is the head of the church. So there, what could be clearer? How could Paul possibly say it more plainly, more simply? Christ is the head of his church. He has absolute authority over his church. He's the one in charge of the church. The church is under him. We are in submission to him. So what does this mean for us as Cornerstone Community Church? Why are we in this series? Why am I bringing up that point? Let's make it practical right now. One thing I want us all to notice as a church right now is this. This means, the fact that Christ is head, the fact that it's his church, the fact that he's authority, this means that we want to, we are supposed to, we must, we want to do church his way. Now, Doing church his way is a novel concept in our day. It shouldn't be, but there are just there are too many pastors and too many churches, and there's lots of great churches, thank God for most, but there are too many churches now that have somehow lost touch with what theologians call ecclesiology. What is ecclesiology? What's that big word? Well, the Greek word for church is ecclesia, and out of that we get ecclesiology. What is that? It's the study of the church. Now, there's a whole lot in the Bible. There's a whole lot in the New Testament that tells us specifically how to do church, how not to do church. There's even lots said about how to preach, the content of the preaching. I mean, what's supposed to be in there? Namely, lots of the Bible. <laughs> preach the word, be instant and in season and out. So if you're preaching and not preaching a lot of the word, you're not doing ecclesiology right. You're not submitting to the head. You're not listening to Jesus Christ. So what this means is we want to do church his way. He has designed his church. He tells us through his apostles how he wants us to do it. We don't get to improvise. And we don't, we don't get to go out in the world and have the world tell us, like, this is a thing nowadays. The pastor goes out with his clipboard, and he hoists, I love this phrase, he hoists a moist finger aloft. Let's see which way the winds of culture are blowing here. And he asks them at the door. So he's letting, can I use this word? I won't use that word. He's using non he's letting non-Christians, I almost called them pagans, <laughs> which they are. I was a pagan. Anyway. Not the motorcycle. Anyway, so they're letting non-Christians who don't love God, who don't love Christ, who don't submit to the word, design their church for them. How terrible can that be? That is horrible. Now, there's a good motive very often. Sometimes there's a foul side. Here, the, good mode, the good motive very often is this. We want to see people saved. And there's a very famous internationally known pastor, I won't name him, he probably pastors the largest church in America. And I've heard him say on more than one occasion, here's one of their little church mantras, we will do anything short of sin to see a sinner saved. Now, I'd like to convince you that there's something very wrong about that. Is it great to get sinners saved? Oh, absolutely. Is getting sinners saved the only thing at the, in the Bible? No. So can we, 
Can we change the church? Can we redesign it? Can we make it something other than what it is in the Word? If we in our brains think that'll help us get more sinners saved, that's what's being done. So, so like the, the main thing is, the whole Bible, all it says is, get sinners saved. You figure it out. That's what's going on in our day. So make the church any way you want, however you think would be best for that. The problem is, when it comes to how church ought to be conducted, there are more criteria than that. There are other things we're told. There are other things we're to consider. There's a rich body of ecclesiology in this book, and we're to submit to Jesus Christ as head over his church when he tells us, here's how I want you to do church, and here's how I don't want you to do church. So one of the reasons we're in this Cornerstone Church is we want to be a biblical church. We want to submit to Christ the head. We want him to be honored and blessed and glorified while we do the whole counsel of God and all his will. Now, let me bring this home to you a little more while we stick on this first point, Jesus Christ's head or authority over his church. Here's my hope for you. My hope for you is that you all will get this, that Christ is head and he gets to tell the church how to do church and that you will not only get it, but you'll want it, and you'll like it, and you'll love it, and you'll demand it. Like if for some reason, why on earth would this ever happen? If for some reason you left Cornerstone, tell you, let's say you moved to Florida, because that's where everybody's moving, right? So let's say you moved to Florida. Please don't everybody move to Florida. A bunch of people have. You moved to Florida and you gotta find a church. Please say in your soul, please say to the Lord, oh Lord, please help us to find a biblical church. Please find a church that conducts its affairs according to the dictates of the word of God. Help us not to land in a designer church, in a hollow church, in a business model church. We're a business. There are a lot of churches out there that are a business. We know how to be successful. We do these things. Yeah, but those aren't the things in the word of God. Well, I don't care. We want to get big. That's when the motive is bad. We just want to get big. For the record, I would love Cornerstone to get huge. I'd love every single person on the planet to be part of Cornerstone. Not really. <laughs> but I would because we want them all to hear the word, and we don't want them all to come to Christ, hopefully, and et cetera, et cetera. But if I have in me any motive about, like, I need a big church for my psyche, for me, for my status, that's evil. That's foul. You don't want pastors having that. I'm not supposed to be glorified. Christ is supposed to be glorified. He must increase, I must decrease. So why are we doing this? We want to do church his way. We want you to want that, to love that, to demand that, to insist upon that. And if you move to Florida, please don't. That's what you're going to look for when you get there. Is this a biblical church? So that's our first point. Here's our second point for today. First point, Jesus Christ is the head over his church. Here's point number two. And Jesus Christ appointed and authorized his apostles to found his church. He appointed them and he authorized them. And not only did they found the church, but it's more. They are, we're going to see, they are the foundation of the church. All right, so you know the hymn, Jesus, the, the church's one foundation is Jesus Christ, her Lord. Well, not a, you're going to see, not exactly right. Actually, the foundation is the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus being the cornerstone. So sing the cornerstone song, yes. But anyway, you can sing the other song too, it's just fine. But we want to see Jesus Christ appointed and authorized his apostles to found his church. Let's see this in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19. So then, 
You are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Wow. Built on the foundation of, or the foundation which is, the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. All right, it's time for a quiz. Y'all ready for a quiz? Take out a blank sheet of paper, grab your pen, click, click, and answer this question. Who is the foundation of the church? Some of you just failed. All right, look at the text again. Build upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Who's the foundation of the church? All right, now you're getting it. Christ is the cornerstone, but they are the foundation. That's what the Spirit of God tells us through the Apostle Paul here. So Paul tells us also in 1 Corinthians 3, I believe it is, no other foundation can be laid than that which is laid, which is, and there he is called the foundation, Jesus Christ. This is so important, the idea that they are in this unique category. They're not like you and me. They're in a different spot. There's Christ, and then, of course, he's the God-man. He's divine. Then there's apostles. They're not divine. They're just human. But they're amazed. They were in an amazing category of humanity, so much so that they are the foundation of the church. And it's so important that the apostle John brings this back to our minds in Revelation chapter 21. There we are down at the end of time. There we are down at the last day. And Earlier in the chapter than where we're going, we're going to see the holy city, the new Jerusalem, which is identified as the bride, the wife of the lamb. It is the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we read, and it has foundations, and on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the lamb. Now, my name's not on that foundation anywhere. Your name's not on that foundation anywhere. We're just plain old saints, but they're apostles. That's a very unique, that's a very wonderful, that's a very high, that's a very special category of persons, and there are only 12 of them plus Paul. Paul's one too, so there are actually 13 of them. Once he added Matthias after Judas abdicated, there's actually 13 of them, but 12 of them, not Paul, the other 12, have their names on the foundation of the new city, which is the church of Jesus Christ. What do we learn? I want you to learn this. Jesus Christ appointed and authorized his apostles to found and to be the foundation of his church. Put it another way. Apostles are in a very special place. Christ put them there. Now, here's what I really want you to hear. All that to say this. Please get this. Were you wandering away? Can I have you back? Please please get this. A church is biblical only to the extent to which it is apostolic. There are churches that have apostolic in their name. I don't mean you need to be that. But I mean to the extent that our church is modeled after the teaching of the apostles, to that extent we are a biblical church. Why isn't it after the teaching of Christ? Because Christ didn't hand us all that. He gave it to his apostles, and you're going to see that in a minute, and they gave it to us. If we're a biblical church, we are an apostolic church. If we are not an apostolic church, we are not a biblical church. Biblical Christianity is deeply 
apostolic. Christ made them and their writings. Through their writings, they are the foundation of the church. So we want to know that. We want to learn that. These apostles occupy a very special place. So I can't resist saying this. I've said it a few times lately, but it comes up again right here. So please, let's have none of this error, none of this heresy, none of this folly that says, well, I listen to Christ, I'm not so sure about Paul. There's a lot of that going around now, right now. Don't you catch it. Don't let it come in cornerstone. That's, that's heresy. Actually, it was condemned in the early church and it was named after its leader, after its biggest proponent, Marcionism. The idea that, well, we'll go with the Gospels. By the way, who wrote the Gospels? Did Jesus write the Gospels? Every single thing you know about Jesus, you only know it because apostles wrote it and gave it to you. So when you say, well, I don't go with apostles, well, then you don't have anything about Jesus. You just lost Jesus. You just lost salvation. You just lost God. You just lost everything. So none of this folly, none of this heresy, none of this error, please, that says, well, I, I go with the words of Jesus. I'm not so sure about James and Paul and Peter and the others. No, no we're very sure about them. Christ handpicked them and appointed them to serve as the very foundation of his church. So we as Cornerstone Church want to be deeply, thoroughly apostolic, unashamedly apostolic. What did Christ's hand-picked, authorized, empowered apostles teach about the church? We want to be that. That's what we want to be. We want to be designer church. We want to be the church designed by Jesus Christ. Now, there's more about this authority of Christ. Where do they get the idea? Where do we get the idea that, that they have authority? Well, let me, let me take you just a few. I don't have forever here. I'll give you a couple passages. By the mouth of two witnesses, you must believe, all right? We're going first to John chapter 14 and then John chapter 16. We're in the upper room discourse, Jesus with his disciples. He's preparing them for his imminent departure. And he says, John 14, what's the verse? Uh, 25. These things, he's speaking to his men. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Wow. Now, you need to understand, that is not a general promise to every believer. Jesus wasn't speaking to you that you weren't there. When it says he will teach you all things, that's not, you can't say, well, I, now, I know all things. No, you don't. And you never heard Jesus say things, so the part about he'll bring to remembrance all that I have said to you, you weren't there to hear Jesus. This is a specific localized command to those men, to those apostles, and Jesus is pre-authorizing them. He's telling them what's in the future. He's going to go up to the Father. He's going to send the Holy Spirit. What will the Spirit do? The Holy Spirit will teach the apostles the remaining revelation that Christ had not yet given them. We have it in the pages of our New Testament. And the apostles will bring to their remembrance so that they can accurately write Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and any other comments they make about Jesus Christ. So this is Jesus saying, look guys, you're gonna get it right. 
You are the foundation of my church. The Holy Spirit is going to help you to accurately remember everything I've said and pass it on to the people of God. And there's going to be additional revelation. He's going to give you that. You're going to write it down for the people of God. It's apostolic. We see this again in John 16, verse 12. Jesus is speaking to them. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you. This is not a promise to you. Don't claim this or you become a heretic. This is to the apostles. He will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears from Christ, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, Jesus says. For he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Where do you get these, the idea that these apostles are somebody? Well, from what Jesus said. Jesus pre-authorized their, fu- their further revelation, Matthew through Revelation. He pre-authorized it right here in John 14, right here in John 16. He said, look, guys, here's the plan. I'm going up. The Spirit's coming down. Here's what he's going to do for you. You're going to get my word right. You're going to get more revelation. You're going to accurately remember what has already been given to you out of the mouth of Jesus. And you're going to create, you're going to write it. He didn't say that, but it's what they did. You're going to write it down for posterity. And Christ's apostles handpicked, empowered, spirit-led, given to the church as its foundation. All right, I'm beating the point to death, aren't I? Move on, Steve. Okay, thank you. So what have we seen? Number one, Jesus Christ is the head, the authority over his church. Number two, Jesus Christ appointed and authorized his apostles to found his church. Now, is there any other layer of authority? Yeah, I told you there are three. So the first is Christ the head. The second is the apostles. They're human. They're not divine human. like Christ. So they're way down somewhere. And then there's another level of authority in local churches only that we see in the New Testament. And it's way down somewhere because it's not apostles. And it's certainly not Jesus, all right? So there's another level of authority. What is it? Do you all think you know? How many of you think you know? No one. All right. I'll help you out. So point number three, here it is. Jesus Christ, through his apostles, ordained that pastors, elders, overseers are to lead, guide, and govern local churches. That's the third tier. It's way down below the second tier which is way down below the first tier. So you have God-man tier, then you have apostolic tier, and then you have plain old rank and file of local pastors picked by the people, laid hands on them and appointed them, just basic people. But Jesus Christ through his apostles ordained that that's the way it's supposed to be, that pastors, elders, overseers are to lead, guide, and govern local churches. Where do we get that? Let me show you a couple of passages. There's many. I'll give you a few. 1 Timothy 5.17. Watch it carefully with me. Great verse. Let the elders who rule well be counted worthy of double honor. Now, in the context, he's talked about widows, and a widow who's qualified, should be considered worthy of honor. And in the context, it's very clear that honor means adequate maintenance. It's support her with adequate maintenance. That's honor. Then he says, but now the the pastors probably have wives and kids. They need more than she does. So let the elders who rule well be counted worthy of double honor. He needs more than she did. 
So let them be counted worthy of, whether they ever get it or not, we don't know, but counted worthy of double honor. And then there's a third tier here, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. So what's this say? We have elders, pastors, overseers. That's one group, equal in authority, same office, same kind of people. But then there's some stratification within the eldership just based on gifts and opportunity and you know, so on and so forth. And what's the strata? Well, first you have to see from the text, all elders rule. The fact that some rule well, well is the Greek word kalos, that means like with exceptional skill. They're really good at ruling in the church. The fact that some rule well means that all rule. So the basic thing about being an elder is you are now to lead, to guide, to govern in the local church, the assembly of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, you're not supposed to do it in a lordly way that's coming. So hang on if you're already thinking, yeah, well, what about the lordly? Okay, we're going to get there. But here it is, the elders all rule. Some of them rule well, and then there's a third group among them. Of those who rule well, there's those who also labor in preaching and teaching, and there are prescriptions for them. So what, what I want you to see from that passage is, it is the will of Jesus Christ, as mediated through his hand-picked apostles, his authorized apostles, that the pastors, elders, overseers of a local church are to be the ones who are leading, guiding, governing. I'm not even using the word ruling in my little definition. They're the ones who are to oversee and take care of the church of God. Let's see this from Peter, 1 Peter 5, 1 and 2. So I exhort the elders among you, Peter writes, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, watch this, exercising oversight. That's a Greek verb. It's one word in Greek. It's episkopeo from which we get like Episcopal or Episcopal. So this is where the Episcopal church gets their name, like they're a church that is governed by oversight of Episcopoi, bishops. That's, that's just the thing. It's not what the Episcopal church has. It just means the word overseer was a very common word in the Greek world for somebody with a political position. They're over this area. They govern that city or whatever. That was an Episcopos. And local church elders are told to episcopeo, to, to, to oversee the flock of God that is among them, exercising oversight. What are we seeing? Same thing. Jesus Christ, through his apostles, says, how do you govern a local church? Well, well here's part of the government. You've got to have pastors, elders, overseers, and they're leading, guiding, governing the thing. Not in the lordly way. We're going to see that in a minute. Hang in there. How about another passage? This one is embarrassingly strong. Embarrassing for me to read it to you. Stand here in front of you and read it. Forget I'm standing here. It is the word of God, Hebrews 13, 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them. You understand, don't you, that when, whenever the Bible says submit, it says it about other relationships, that's envisioning a time when you don't want to. Like if you want to, if you agree with your authority, you're not submitting, you're agreeing. Like if your parents say, here, eat this banana split, and you say, sure, are you, are you submitting to your parents? No, you're doing what you love. They just gave you the opportunity. But if your parents say, eat your Brussels sprouts, ah, that's going to take an act of submission. So the word submit is only applicable when. The word submit envisions a time when you don't agree, you don't like you don't want to. What happens then? The Bible says, obey your leaders. 
and submit to them. Do you understand that every decision the elders have to make, if it's a yes to you, it's a no to them. And if it's a no to you, it's a yes to them. And they wanted a no, but they got a yes. And you wanted a yes, but you got a no. And we really can't please everybody. And that's why the Bible says, well, sometimes you just have to, you just have to let them lead. All right, well, not so fast, Hartland. What about that part about them not being lordly? You're skipping that. No, here it is, 1 Peter 5, 2 through 4. Shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion but willingly, not for dishonest gain but eagerly, nor as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. Now, here's where you get that part. Thank you, Peter, for this. Not as lords. Well, amen. Away with lordly pastors. Down with lordly pastors. That's not healthy for the church. We want to be apostolic. The apostles told us no lordly pastors. So lordly pastoring is not a model we want. We want to be far from that. But would you notice that in the same breath, in the same sentence, Peter feels free to say, you guys serve as overseers. You lead it, you guide it, you govern it. Just don't do that in a way that is lordly. So to not be lordly doesn't mean you need to become democratic. Right? To not be lordly doesn't mean... Well, we don't really have any position on anything. Whatever you want, that's just what we'll do. To not be lordly doesn't mean you never oversee, you never lead, you never guide, you never go. This is not saying all leadership is suspect, all authority is lordly. No, some of it is, can be. And we don't want that. You don't want that. But you don't want to throw out the baby with the bathwater. Don't throw out oversight with lordly overseers. Now, what you want is oversight done with humility, oversight done with love, oversight done with sensitivity to the feelings and the desires and the thoughts and the positions of the people of God. How might that work? Let me tell you how it might work right here at Cornerstone. We include you in on decisions that we think, oh, we better include them in on that one. For example, uh, just come talk to us. Okay, aside from that, I should have said that earlier. Here's how we're not, Lord. You want to talk to one of us? I'll be right there after church and people come and talk to me. Come up and talk to me. I would love it. And we listen. Can't guarantee we'll always agree. Can't guarantee you'll always go home and say, got what I wanted. No, sometimes it might be, no, here's why we don't do that because of this and this and this and this. And that's not being lordly of us. Talk to us and we listen. Here's another way we include you in on things. We have core meetings. Hey, we have one today. Did you know that? A core meeting is a meeting where we have a meal together and enjoy fellowship together. And then we bring before you, I think I have 12 things on my list for the meeting today. And about nine of them are, what do you all think of this? Give us your feedback. What do you all think of that? Give us your feedback. Let's have a discussion about the other one. That's what we're doing at our core meeting today. That's non-lordly pastoring. We hope, we believe. In addition to that, we send you surveys. One of you, suggest, one of you suggested to us recently, let's start a Christian school. We said, all right, we better find out what the rest of the church thinks about this idea. And we surveyed you, and we got a wealth of replies to that. And come to the core meeting if you want to hear what the surveys yielded. 
And we're going to have some discussion about it there. We didn't just say, well, we're the lords of Cornerstone Church and we want a school, we'll start a school. No, 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 no. We want to involve you in this. We got to live together. We got to love each other. We got to appreciate each other. And sometimes we even ask you to vote on things. We just did that a couple weeks ago. We voted in Brian Atwell to become one of our elders, pastors. Over That's such a big decision. We say, no, we don't just want to make that on our own. We really want to hear from you all. Do you agree with our view of this man? Do you accept him as one of your possible pastors? And we don't want to appoint a guy if you're not accepting him. So very important. This is our attempt at non-lordly oversight. Here's another way we attempt that. Every quarter, if you're on our mailing list, every quarter, one of our pastors contacts you probably by email, sends an email to you and says, hey, I'm praying for you. Got any prayer requests for me? Got any special needs? I'm here for you. You want to get together? I'd love to get together. In my experience, if I send out 34 of those per quarter, I hear back from 10. (laughs) I guess that means everybody else is just good and happy. Or they've given up on their inbox. Yeah, I'm just about there. But I would really love it if all of y'all that I write to and the other, if you respond and say, hey, yeah, I'm actually struggling with X, Y, Z. Can you pray for me? And then we'll have a little dialogue about that so that we're in touch. We want, we want that. Or, or you might say to us, well, yeah, I'm, I'm curious about you know, this decision you made, and can we have a discussion? Yeah, let's get coffee. We'll do that. That's us seeking not to be Lord. So really, I love First Peter 5, down with lordly overseers, but up with godly, uh, humble overseers. What have we seen so far? Got to keep us moving. Got one more point. Jesus Christ is the head over his church. As head, Jesus Christ has appointed and authorized his apostles. They're the foundation of the church. The apostles of Jesus Christ have ordained that pastors, elders, overseers are to lead, God, and govern local churches. Here's a fourth and a final point for today. I actually had a fifth, but ran out of time in the first service, so you're not getting it either. Here's, there's number four. And Jesus Christ intends us to have pastors in our lives. I wanted to put you. He intends you but he intends me to have pastors in my life too. I'm one of six pastors of Cornerstone. I have five pastors who are over me in the Lord. I have five, five pastors watching for my soul. I have five pastors that I get to interact with and I'm doing life with five pastors in my life. And you have six pastors in your church for your blessing and your benefit. This point, Jesus Christ intends you, us, to have pastors in our lives, takes everything that's kind of been organizational, everything that's kind of been distant, theoretical, the church ought to be this. Now it becomes very personal. In this point, we're zooming right into you, your life, your life in Cornerstone Church. Jesus Christ intends you to have pastors in your lives, in your life. So it's not just, I go to Cornerstone Church, I know it has pastors, I've never talked to one of them. I don't know any of them. They don't know who I am, but I know it has pastors. It's not that, well, I've been to Cornerstone's website and I've seen there, there are pastors. Um, It's not that. It's that you know and you're known by. Where do you get that in the Bible? Well, let's look at one verse. 1 Thessalonians 5, two verses, 12 and 13. Paul writes to this young church. They're only several months old. They don't have official recognized elders, pastors, overseers yet, but Paul's telling them, watch the people Christ is is raising up. Notice how Paul describes them. 
we ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work, be at peace among yourselves. Now, the part I want is the first verse. We ask you, brothers, to respect. Now, I'm not happy with that translation, so just believe me, please, when I tell you the Greek word there is the simple old garden variety, very common word, gnosko, which means to know, to know them, just know them. Jesus Christ is telling you through his apostolic word here, he wants you to know your pastors. And I'll add in that means you'll be known by them as well. You don't want to be a sheep who's out there in the flock and you're way over on that end and the pastors are, and you never come over near a pastor. You don't want to be there. No, we ask you, brothers, to know those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. You say, well, how could I possibly know the pastors? Well, that's easy. After the sermon, we're gonna, I'm going to say to you, text pastor to the number on the screen, and one of us will be talking to you. That's one way we make it easy. Here's another way. Come early, find the pastor, and talk with one of them. Here's another way. Stay after and find one and talk with them. I'll be right there today for a while, and then I'll be out there longer. Would love to know you. After the early service, a couple who's been here for a while, for their very first time, came up and talked to me today. It was really sweet. I enjoyed that. So you're a sheep. You're in a flock. Live near your shepherds. Know and be known. So what have we seen this morning? We've seen Jesus Christ is head over his church. He has appointed and authorized apostles to found it. He, through his apostles, ordains that pastors, elders, overseers are to lead, guide, and govern it. And he intends us to have pastors in our, in our lives. So here's where I want to go with that finally, as we close. Again, I started here. I'm going to finish here. This whole thing begins with, this whole thing depends upon Christ's authority in your heart. For any of this to work, for you being in a church and this is all going to work, you've got to have a heart that is in submission to Christ. You have bowed the knee and confessed Jesus as Lord, you have gladly embraced him as your sovereign, your master, your guide, your judge, your Lord. And you can genuinely say, and you often do say in your heart of hearts, Lord, I want your will in my life. I want what you want. Shape me, mold me, change me, take away whatever you don't like, build in whatever's supposed to be there but ain't there. Lord Jesus, I submit to you. I want your will. The will of God will be my delight. It starts there in each one of us individually, and only then can it work corporately when we come together. And as a church, we say, now we want to do this thing his way. We want to do this thing according to the will of God. But back to you personally. So now I ask you a very personal but important question. Is that what's in your heart? Have you bowed the knee to Jesus Christ, that he may be your sovereign and your Lord. That's where you want to be. That's a good place to be. That's the only place to be. You've been running your own life? How's that working? <laughs> Let him run your life. He's sovereign. He's Lord. 
So bow with me, please, as we close in a moment of prayer. Father, thank you for this time in the scriptures, and we pray that the Holy Spirit will speak to hearts in this room. May sinners be brought to Jesus Christ even in these moments. May they believe and bow their knee to Christ. Lord Jesus, draw them, we pray. And may we, Lord, may we be a church that is to your honor, to your glory, a church that is built upon the foundation, the teachings of your apostles and prophets, those they passed on to us from your very words. And so, Lord, make us a biblical church. We ask in the name of Jesus Christ, amen.